0: Steve Martin isn't funny Said somebody on the internet A lot of people didn't agree Some people did But it caused a conversation And Holly wanted to bring that conversation to us In the second hour of the Colleen and Bradley show Hello, happy Monday And it really is a, a fascinating conversation to be had Because it it not only talks about the specifics of the Steve Martin story But it just uh, reminds us that you know, all humor is local by that. I mean, <laughs> stuck in its own time. And um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right, Holly?
1: Not necessarily a bad thing. So over the weekend, if you were paying attention to a pop culture conversation on Twitter, Steve Martin's King Tut skit was the subject of a robust dialogue about comedy. Now, for those of you who don't know this skit, this was from Saturday Night Live back in the 70s. Steve Martin performed this song, King Tut. Now, I want to play a little bit of it because it was like, oh, yeah, maybe there are some folks out there who have never heard this song before because this came out in the late 70s, which was over 40 years ago. Uh, so I'm just going to play a little clip of this song, King Tut, and then we'll go to Twitter.com.
0: Okay. Come
1: on. That is a classic song from Steve Martin. Now, somebody on Twitter, because this is how usually these these things start, somebody posted this video and said the Steve Martin King Tut video is going around and basically, I'm pretty sure... Well, here, let's go with the original tweet. I'm pretty sure my parents found this hilarious in the 70s, but I honestly don't get it. He's doing a funny dance and voice, but there really isn't a bit... ...that my millennial brain can parse.
0: Okay, so thanks for your thoughts.
1: (sighs) At Eclectic Hams. Um, (laughs) So said the Twitter handle. Yeah. Yeah. Then people went on to point out that the clip that this person was referring to... ...yes, it was from the song King Tut, but it didn't contain the monologue that came before the song... Putting this song into context, even when it first debuted in the 70s, being that at the time the song came out, there is a traveling King Tut exhibit that was all the rage. Everybody loved it. Yeah. And so then it became the focus of parody. And so this kind of culture became a focus of parody. And the song came out 44 years ago, Bradley. Yeah.
0: I mean, he essentially. And if you watched a little bit where he sets it up, he basically says, um, you know, there's this. A traveling exhibit and it's just kind of weird that like we commercialize this thing and then all of a sudden he just does like basically you know a goofy parody commercial about King Tut yeah I mean yeah, like it's nothing more nothing less it just seems like and to be fair I hadn't even really thought about the the sort of context of King Tut you know having i I'm assuming I was alive when this came out what year was this 1970 um, late 70s probably yeah
1: 1978.
0: Um, yeah. So I was alive, certainly not conscious at the age of three. But, um, you know, growing up, you sort of had an awareness of this because like all things back in the 70s and 80s, there were few things people actually thought, <laughs> but we all saw them. So we all kind of knew this thing. Yeah. But I hadn't really even contemplated it. And so I guess I'm grateful in one sense that like, oh, now I got to learn a little something about why this was actually a thing. And but also, like, it is particularly millennial slash that age, because I don't think it's peculiar to one generation, that you would look back at something and go, "That's doesn't make sense. What? That's corny. That's
1: not funny. Like, that's...
0: Like, that's we all do that. You all look back because it's 40 years ago. 40! Things, not only have times changed, but it's not to say the tastes have evolved. It's to say... The same thing, and I think somebody points it out later in on Twitter who's like, um, I find the current discourse about Steve Martin's King Tut. I also love that they use the word discourse as if that's what's actually happening. King Tut sing a perfect example uh, of why. I, let me start over. I find the current discourse about Steve Martin's King Tut's singing a perfect example of why. You couldn't do X today to be a worthless point. You couldn't do King Tut today, but it's not because it's distasteful. It's because the cultural significance of King Tut is much less now. So, it just it wouldn't resonate the same way because there's no
1: right. There's no
0: corresponding th- awareness of this King Tut exhibit. Though. Yeah,
1: and it being commercialized also in King Tut. Within that, they go into a disco beat, which also comments on the discofication. Of everything in popular yeah. culture in 1978. Yeah. And then making a commentary on that. So it's really layered. And so it's like, yeah, the humor probably will be lost if you're not willing to do the historical research.
0: And I just would like that millennial to understand that 30 years from now, 40 years from now, the things that they laughed at will seem corny, hokey, out of date and out of touch. Yeah. But they were no less... Out of touch in the moment than King Tut was.
1: Right. And also, I will say for the people who were who are genuine fans of King Tut and lived through Steve Martin's King Tut skit live when they watched it in nineteen seventy eight on Saturday Night Live, that it's also okay for that young person to not have it resonate with them. Because there was a lot of pushback being like, oh, you can't, you don't understand what what this is and why it's funny.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot. But, I mean, you know, then the old people show up and they're like, you can't do Yeah. Like, yes. And I was kind of just doing that myself. But you're absolutely right. There were probably people at the time who were like, that's stupid.
1: Yeah. And that's OK. Yeah. And that's OK. Your point. Yeah. And it's OK. And I think particularly where comedy is concerned, that comedy Becomes more of a historical artifact faster than other forms of entertainment and other forms of cultural commentary where it's like, yeah, you can appreciate that. Perhaps it was funny at the time, but maybe it doesn't translate into the future. And that's fine.
0: We just had that experience on this very show, looking back on 10 years of the show that we did. And I was playing some clips and I (laughs) played them and I was like, what were we thinking? Because... To your point, it's almost like ephemera, like the pop cultural things that just seem so alive in the moment, you know, lose their relevance so very quickly. Yeah. You know, even probably faster than like, you know, somebody who put some effort into it, like Steve Martin's comedy. But but also comedy, to your point, doesn't have a very long shelf life, which is fine because it's of the moment. Yes. It's just now. That we have access to every damn thing that it, you know, gives everybody an opportunity to look back and go poo
1: poo. Right. Because time is flat. Time doesn't exist anymore. King Tut exists in 2022 in a way that it existed in 1978. Yeah. It's just flat.
0: I will argue uh, because it's not my argument. Other people have made this argument that. Because of social media and because of the recording of everything we have that like our culture changes far more slowly now because and specifically pop music and pop culture, because we we hold on to everything for so long in a way that we didn't have the ability to do that. You know, like when you and I were mere children, um, you know, music was changing like every 10 years, you know, the sort of general it was, uh, you know, in clothes, right? right? And styles right. and, uh, you know, uh, tastes. And now just like we have access to everything. So those things change much more slowly.
1: Oh, man. Woo, we could go down the rabbit hole on that one. It'd be
0: fun, but we got to go. So we got to go.
1: Time moves on. Time moves
0: on. <laughs> and when we come back, that previous segment will seem out of touch and out of date. And it won't be funny anymore, Holly. Uh-huh. Uh, but here's something that's oh, oh also not funny we need to update you on two things regarding that infamous slap which i know you would like to think is out of date and something we don't need to talk about anymore but we do chris rock specifically uh, but also something will smith is doing and we'll get to those stories when we come back right here on my talk
1: 1071 the
0: Well, the slap heard round the world continues to reverberate with details and development here on the Colleen and Bradley show. I'm the Bradley. That's the Holly. Colleen will be back with us tomorrow. Good afternoon. Hello. Hello. Uh, I know you don't want to know anything else about the story uh, involving Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars, right, Holly?
1: Well... We're probably going to hear about it anyway. Exactly.
0: So strap in. No, I, (laughs) what I mean by that is I think everybody's kind of like, oh, what else could there possibly be to discuss? Is Will Smith finally talking? No. The truth is, though, other people are talking and apparently another of Chris Rock's family members, specifically his mom. Oh, this is interesting, right? Because Chris Rock has not discussed overtly publicly the incident.
1: No, and he's actively deflected anyone who has tried to get him to talk about it, because at his comedy shows right after the Oscars, he was just like, oh, I'm not going to talk about it.
0: Yeah, and he he said, like, I've got a lot to say, or I will at some point, but not now, leave me alone, listen to my comedy, right? Right. Essentially. Um, That has not stopped his brother, though, from speaking out, uh, and on more than one occasion, I think. But now his mother is. So on Friday, his mom, Rose, she sat down with a local South Carolina news station discussing the infamous moment. And she said, quote, um, uh, the, she told the W.I.S. Billy Jean show, mm. you reacted to your wife giving you the side eye and you went and made her day because she was mulled over laughing when it happened. I think that's what she was saying to
1: will smith metaphorically yeah. like if she was actually talking to will smith
0: yeah she's thank you for putting that so <laughs> succinctly because uh it's not clear but yes um now apparently she like a lot of people thought like we all did that it was staged at uh-huh. first and it wasn't until will smith started dropping some four-letter words that yep. she realized She went on to say when he slapped Chris, he slapped all of us. He really slapped me because when you hurt my child, you hurt me. No one heard his speech. No one was able to just be in the moment because everyone was sitting there like, what just happened? Um, She shared that her son was happy to present an award to Questlove during the ceremony. And obviously, you know, that that came in the middle of it. Okay, so his mom's talking. I find this interesting because you got to feel like I mean, parents, family members are going to do what they're going to do. You have no control over it, right? If they want to speak. Right. But I feel like sitting down with a local news outlet seems like an intentional act. And so I'm curious if like, you know, Chris Rock was like, "Sure, if you want to say something."
1: Yeah. I don't and I have no idea what Chris Rock's relationship is like with his mother. You know, are they on good terms? Do, yeah. Are they close with each other? Are they estranged? I mean, there are so many things that we don't have answers to.
0: Exactly. All good questions that I also <laughs> don't have the answer to. But I find uh-huh. it interesting that we've not heard from Chris Rock, but we have heard from two of his family members. And it's not like he's coming out to sort of disavow anything they've said. It's not to say that, you know, I mean, they're certainly entitled to. Yeah. Um, on the other half of that story, you know, last week... We got kind of a hint from Jada Pinkett Smith about her feelings. Not really, but maybe they would talk about them, but not really. But sometime at any point that they want to bring up the topic, they will do so on the next season, maybe or maybe not, of the Red Table Talks.
1: Yeah, which kicked off last week, last Wednesday, without talking about the Oscars. So essentially, Jada Pinkett Smith leaving the door open for that conversation But it's probably going to be one of those things if they do talk about it this season on Red Table Talk, they'll drop a hint the night before.
0: Yeah, and it'll be some big, you know, big thing. Yeah. Well, I don't know if uh, Will Smith has um, traveled to India to record that interview on Red Table Talk, but he did travel to India. And I'm like, this is interesting. The first time he's seen public follow or publicly or I should say making a public appearance um occurred in india there's no reason why at least uh, according to the article i read over the weekend that this is the first time he was being photographed since the oscar slap he um you know shows up in india taking a bunch of pictures mm-hmm. he arrived at a private airfield
2: in mumbai um and you
0: know he's all smiles as i mean
2: hey it's mike and i'm so excited to tell you about factor's delicious ready to eat meals we're all busy and with factor eating fresh never frozen chef crafted meals has never been simpler 2 minutes is all you need to heat and eat wherever you are you'll have over 35 different options to choose from including calorie smart protein plus and keto get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals each week
0: to the gym to work out
1: pretty sure that's j-lo and p.s the person behind all of this is chris jenner llc we drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends
0: blinded by the item listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the blinded by the item youtube channel no doubt he would be right normally there's something yeah. unusual about any of these photos i just no. thought it interesting that like the first big outing is in india Right. I don't know if he's got a project there or something.
1: I don't know, but maybe perhaps. I mean, let's go down the celebrity gossip rabbit hole, because there is a blind <gasps> item oh!
0: concerning Always.
1: this. Always. Oh. Oh, NT lawyer, you come with a celebrity gossip mystery. So here's here's a blind item. Remember last week how everyone supposedly was lining up to work with the A-list mostly movie actor, who is an Oscar winner slash nominee, and I told you it was all crap. Those were gossip. Not only is no one lining up to work with him, but he had deals which would have paid him nearly $100 million, all canceled in the past week. Saying that Will Smith has had a lot of high-profile work taken away from him. My hunch on this, because Will Smith has been in a Bollywood movie before. He was in the movie Student of the Year 2. He did what they call an item number. In a Bollywood movie, an item number is a big song and dance number. He was featured in one of these in that movie. My spidey sense is tingling is that he's over there doing some business with people, trying to find some financing for his projects.
0: Oh, that makes total sense. Yeah. Ding, ding, Holly. Ding,
1: ding. So that's all gossip hearsay, but that's how I'm reading this situation.
0: That makes perfect sense. I mean, you would imagine you don't just, I mean, unless he's there for like vacation, but it's just him you would have to believe that that makes total sense. Yeah. You'd be over there trying to drum up business.
1: Right, exactly. Because there are other high-profile Hollywood entities in the past who have received financing from uh, Indian entities. So it would not surprise me if Will Smith is over there trying to figure out some things for himself. Oh,
0: well, we cleared that up. Thank you so much, Holly Roberts and One Entity Lawyer. Now, when we return... We've still got celebrities behaving badly, and in fact we have a name for them, a whole segment. We call it
1: D-Bags. Do
0: that right here on My Talk
1: 1071. Oh, celebrities,
0: they're trash most days. I mean, Thank God, otherwise we wouldn't have a segment called D-Bags on Colleen and Bradley on My Talk 1071. Hi. I'm Bradley Trainer. That's Holly Roberts. And uh, let's get right to those. You know what?
1: Presenting Lord and Lady Douchebag of the Day. Yeah, who's your D-Bag? Uh, today, <clears throat> excuse me, the celebrity who I have crowned Lord D-Bag of the Day is Cuba Gooding Jr.
0: Oh, Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, we haven't talked about him, although I will say the last time we talked about him, it probably wasn't very positive. <laughs> So what's going on with him?
1: No, it wasn't very positive. Cuba Gooding Jr. just pleaded guilty to forcibly touching a woman. That's the last time we caught up with Cuba Gooding Jr., right? And so he entered his guilty plea. I think there might be some probation involved. And if he behaves himself, it will be uh, taken off of his criminal record. But it's what Cuba Gooding Jr. is doing next that makes him my D-bag of the day, considering that past headline, Bradley, considering the last time we just talked about Cuba Gooding Jr. Okay. He's decided to host a party at a strip club.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, Maybe that's (laughs) not... No. Yeah.
1: Now, Page Six reports that Cuba Gooding Jr., yes... The very same Cuba Gooding Jr., who just pleaded guilty to forcibly touching a woman, is going to host a party next month at a strip club in Times Square. Oh, God, no. It's probably not a good idea. That's not a good look. Not a good look. Because Cuba Gooding Jr. had three accusers that he was called to answer in court. Not one, but two, but three individuals Who claimed that Cuba Gooding Jr. behaved inappropriately with them, and now he's following that up by allegedly hosting a party at the Sapphire uh, Strip Club, Gentlemen's Club, Club of Nudity. I don't know what you call them these days. I just feel like not a good look.
0: That's like a party foul. Like your your PR people are not helping you. If indeed you have any PR people currently helping you,
1: I feel like making. I feel like
0: that's a no brainer, and uh, you know. Um maybe just now is not the time. Yeah. Maybe put that off for a little bit.
1: Yeah, maybe put that off for a little bit. Bradley, I have a feeling that Cuba Gooding Jr doesn't have any public relations people helping him out because if he did, they would be we could be his public relations yeah. people and we would How be about like, no. How about honey maybe take some time away. Maybe don't associate yourself with this kind of work. Take some time. Reflect. Do something positive for yourself. Now, this is all just gossip and hearsay because Page Six did reach out for comment from Cuba Gooding Jr.'s people and from Sapphire Times Square, which is a dance and nightclub. I'm on their Facebook page, but they didn't have any comment on the matter. But I guess we'll see because they like yeah, to I'm publicize. Sure they're,
0: they're grateful for the um, free publicity.
1: Yeah, but hey, they got Sean Paul performing. Oh, Okay. He just did over the weekend. Oh, great. Yeah, that's wonderful. And there's also performers and sushi.
0: <laughs> performers and sushi.
1: Yeah, you know. I mean,
0: those two things go great together.
1: They sure, sure do. So Cuba Gooding Jr. is my D-bag today. Congrats. Slow clap for you, honey.
0: More than diamonds, more than gold. Thank <laughs> you, Sean Paul. Um, yes. Okay, so, you know, it's kind of funny, and by that I mean, like, coincidental, strange, interesting.
1: Not ha-ha no, funny. Not
0: ha-ha funny. That you selected uh, someone like Cuba Gooding Jr. as you D-bag because, oh, look, my D-bag today is Bill Murray.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Ooh, this story Woof. just gets worse and worse and worse as the days go by. So, if you don't already know... Bill Murray, um, well, he was getting, quote, touchy with the women on the set of Being Mortal, which the production of which has now been shut down. So I think we learned this first last week that the film suspended production definitely amid an investigation. But now we're getting some more details and it's not just details uh, coming to page six. We've also got people, and I know you've got some details, and feel free to, to drop them in the mix. But let's start with what page six is telling us, that a source close to page six says, quote, he, Bill Murray, was very hands-on touchy, not in any personal areas. I don't know what that means, because I think your body is all personal area, Yeah. Uh, but put an arm around a woman, touched her hair, pulled her ponytail, quote, but always in a comedic way. It's a fine line and everybody loves Bill, but while his conduct is not illegal, some women felt uncomfortable and that he crossed a line. Another source went on to say, these are not my words or phrasing. This is the phrasing of the source talking to page six, because I would argue with the, I think that's kind of problematic language, but a separate source went on to say that he, um, quote, loves women and loves to flirt. He enjoys poetry and romance. He's always flirting, but he is always couched in comedy. It isn't clear if he crossed a line. Seems like the sources in this case are really trying to sort of take the sting out of these uh accusations if you will
1: i hear a lot of oh he's just joking he's, he's
0: just, just that's just bill murray he's
1: just funny like he comes that from a different time yeah he's just kidding he's just, he's just he loves love oh that bill uh-huh.
0: um so that sounds like a lot of excuse making yeah but the production was shut down holly and it's not just sources that are yapping their traps to tabloids of a questionable nature In fact, we have other celebrities who are weighing in or people uh, close to celebrities, right?
1: Yeah. Allegedly, supposedly. Now, they're not addressing the Bill Murray situation, at least this one directly. But his co-star on the film, Bill Murray's co-star on this film, Kiki Palmer, over on her Instagram account last week had some cryptic things to say that one could possibly read into the situation and perhaps maybe supposedly she was talking about her time on the set of this movie. Now listen to this, Bradley, and we'll discuss. She said, it's not always about how good you are at the actual job. It's about how you show up to the job. Are you on time? Do you have a good attitude? Are you efficient? Are you flexible? Are you calm under fire? Do you represent yourself and the employer well? Are you a good communicator? Now, Kiki Palmer went on to write that uh, these things people sometimes don't think matters, especially those who work in fields that come natural to them. It can, mm. She said, That it can double your rate in any field. You create an enjoyable experience for the client. She goes on to say some other things. She said, I'm talented, but I'm not arrogant enough to believe that there aren't many talented people. However, not every talented person is a professional and people pay for professionalism. So she said.
0: So that's uh, allegedly supposedly hinting in perhaps Bill Murray's direction. Like just because you're really talented is not an excuse to not be a professional on the set. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Now she didn't. Kiki Palmer did not say Bill Murray. She not did not say the set of being mortal. So she didn't go into specifics. But that seems to be a little vague, bookie, to me. Yeah. Perhaps she had some insight into someone's behavior that we didn't have at the time. Now, Mm -hmm. other folks are coming forward, uh, just straight up saying things about. Their time with Bill Murray also allegedly supposedly now stepping into the ring is Richard Dreyfuss's son, Ben.
0: Yeah, this was so random. How did this come about?
1: Well, I think that Ben saw all the kerfuffle on social media regarding Bill Murray and being mortal. And then he decided to share his experience on the set of the movie. What about Bob that starred Bill Murray and his dad, Richard Dreyfuss? Now, this isn't this isn't new news, Bradley. The two of these guys allegedly like there are stories that these guys did not get along on the set of that movie.
0: I do remember that. I feel like we've talked about that in the past. And I also remember Lucy Liu had a thing or two to say about Bill Murray.
1: Yeah. On the set of Charlie's Angels. And Ben Dreyfus said that he was five at the time. And he does remember some of the drama between Bill Murray and his dad Richard. And Lucy Liu also came out, I believe, in the summer of 2021 about the way that Bill Murray treated her on the set of Charlie's Angels. Yeah. So, yeah, none of this is coming, I suppose, from just whole cloth. It's their things. People are speaking. They're things. People are, spe- <laughs> <laughs> things. People people are, are speaking.
0: People are speaking very vaguely. And- yes. Um, It seems that nobody wants to go on the record. But again, I kind of got to feel like uh, a production doesn't get doesn't get shut down for no reason.
1: Well, exactly. And at this point, there's an investigation that's happening regarding Bill Murray's behavior on the set of being mortal. So until that investigation has been conducted and they come to some conclusions, all of this is just going to be gossip and hearsay. Yeah,
0: no. and, And it absolutely is gossip and hearsay. But um, more shall be revealed and Mm -hmm. hopefully we'll get some actual details. Right. Because right now it just doesn't look good. Doesn't smell good, at least if you're listening to all of the things that people are putting down. But to your point, obviously, we'll have to wait for the actual investigation. Not that they'll make it public, but perhaps we will hear about
1: that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well-deserved D-bag of the day, though.
0: Um, Speaking of D-bags, although I don't really think this is D-baggy, there is some juicy gossip about some royals, which I'm actually fascinated by, and I hope that you will shed light on when we come back.
1: Ooh, there is a new book that is coming out, Bradley, that is from a legitimate journalist. And they have some hot celebrity gossip from the British royal family.
0: I am here for it, and so shall you be upon our return here on My Talk 1071. Good afternoon and happy February 2nd, 2020. What? What? No. What? It's April 25th. Uh- for cry outside, make it go away. That's nasty. Can we take our mind off it by taking a little trip across the pond, Holly?
1: <laughs> Crack
2: a window. Air
0: it out.
1: I mean... With some
0: gossip, honey.
1: I think that the British royal family is going to want to crack a window and air it out after this book is published. Hey, I
0: cannot wait. Tell me more juicy gossip style.
1: So there is a new book about the British royal family being published called The Palace Papers, and this is coming to us from Tina Brown. Tina Brown, a noted journalist, she has been at the helm of many a magazine and uh, has written books about the royal family before. I believe her previous book, The Diana Chronicles, was a bestseller, that being about Princess Diana. And I listened to a new interview with Tina Brown this morning, and this was on the podcast Sway from The New York Times. And this book, Bradley, promises to be very, very dishy and insightful, About the current state of the British royal family. So
0: I always get interested when someone who is doing actual work is involved. By that, I mean, like, I'm not like here for just salacious, juicy gossip or PR spin that like members of the royal family put out there on, um, you know magazines such as people
1: people exclusive oh yeah but
0: she seems like someone who's going to show up with actual stories that i would listen to that are worth my time
1: yeah and she doesn't necessarily have an agenda right like you said there's no pr agenda she's looking at this as a journalist as a storyteller getting to the bottom of this story and the story being What the heck is going on over there with the House of Windsor and the British royal family? And I thought that Tina Brown's insight into three royals in particular was extremely fascinating. And I bring them to the table for you, Bradley, because I know that you like the British royal family.
0: I am fascinated by it as an institution. I think it's like it's like a weird carbuncle on uh, civilization that, you know, deserves to be looked at and uh, picked at.
1: Yeah, well...
0: And I'm also obsessed with the Queen. (laughs) With
1: the Queen. Well, putting it that way, Bradley, let us not forget that the British monarchy, as it exists today, is a thousand-year-old entity. Yeah. It's
0: absolutely fascinating to me.
1: It is very fascinating. And one of the reasons that the British monarchy still exists today, quite frankly, is because of Queen Elizabeth II. Now, she's been on the throne for the past 70 years. Think about that. She was 25 years old when she took the crown. And Tina Brown, in this new book, The Palace Papers, makes the argument that this, the British royal monarchy, has been held together by good old Liz. And she says that Queen Elizabeth has been a wonderful diplomat, that she uh, is a really skillful CEO thinking about the firm in a business context i
0: do think you know like you know, people kind of just say like i hate the institution therefore it's all trash and i don't subscribe to that particular theory while i think like i'm glad we don't have a monarchy uh, even if it's just like sort of like pr for our you know government which is what it appears to be at this point i mean it's a anyway the moral of the story is like i've got questions and issues with it but That said, like, I just find the human stories incredibly compelling in terms of, like, Queen Elizabeth, say what you will about the monarchy, has succeeded in staying inside this institution and keeping this institution alive for the last 70 years in a way that I don't think very many other people would have been successful at, and I want to know what about her makes... Her Like, I don't think she was just handed something and she's just kind of dutifully like checking boxes. I think she's been far more instrumental than some people would want to give her credit.
1: Yeah. And that Tina Brown says it's because she's a skillful CEO that the monarchy has been this strong for the past 70 years. Now, she does say that perhaps the British monarchy hasn't been able to evolve because she has been in this place for 70 years And that it hasn't maybe moved with the times in ways that would be more natural if perhaps somebody else or other people had taken the reins sooner. But, you know,
0: again, I just I I wonder what happens after she's gone. Right. Because I don't know that anyone could be as successful. And I feel like, you know, somebody who's like, we're going to modernize this thing even more than they already have might just run it right into the ground, which, again. Would that be the worst thing in the world? I don't know. I mean, for them individually, perhaps, but, you know, for the British people, they're probably, you know, there are a lot of people who would probably be happy with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And in this book, uh, what we're talking about right now, The Palace Papers, written by Tina Brown. So not only does she talk about Queen Elizabeth II, but it also provides some interesting insight into Prince Harry. Oh, like what? And where he's coming from. Okay. It's that Harry... You know, he she puts it this way, that William is like the House of Spencer, or not the House of Spencer, the House of Windsor. Harry gets a lot of his temperament from Princess Diana yeah. and the Spencers, and that they're two different people. But with Prince Harry, really, he was kind of adrift after he stopped his military career, after being in the military for 10 years. And Tina Brown says, well, he's not book smart. So he really couldn't advance in the military and was a little wayward after that. And his previous girlfriends to Meghan Markle, they actually didn't like being with Prince Harry because of the attention that the press gave them. The stalking. They couldn't handle the pressure. They were like, "Ooh, I don't really want to do this, Prince Harry. I'm sorry. But it wasn't until he met Meghan Markle that I think he really found a liberating presence in his life. Yeah, somebody
0: who could give him some direction.
1: Yeah, exactly. And somebody that would support him in his mm, departure from the British royal family.
0: Yeah, so she seems to have a sort of like pragmatic look at Harry in a way that perhaps some of the other people who are too close to the British royal family would have. You know, they look at him as sort of, uh, you know, he was manipulated. Yeah, by this American woman.
1: No. And by all means, Tina Brown is painting a picture of a person who is very strong willed and has their own opinions about things. And again, you know, man,
0: this is what I just love. Like, if you go back, watch the crown, right? Because that's <laughs> true. But insofar as it's, you know, maybe a loose perhaps telling of what is, is actually going on. You saw there was a very big difference between the queen and her sister. Yes. Queen Mar- or, uh, Princess Margaret. And Princess Margaret very much had a hard time finding her way because she wasn't going to be, you know, the queen. She wasn't. But but she very much wanted all of the things that came along with, uh, you know, the job, but didn't want to be sort of out there adrift second fiddle because she didn't have a defined role like her sister did.
1: Well, and that kind of is what happened with Prince Harry, because once William married Kate Middleton and they started having children. Then he was six in line to the throne. Now, Tina Brown does make an interesting parallel, a coincidence, that Meghan Markle on the call sheet for her show Suits was also six on the call sheet. Ooh. And that these two found each other.
0: That's an interesting coinkie
1: Yeah, just an interesting coinkie Yeah.
0: When does this book come out?
1: Um, soon, Bradley, it comes out
0: not soon soon enough. Uh,
1: Can I tell you about Prince Andrew, though, because Tina Brown has the juiciest bits of gossip for last. By all means. Yeah. Prince Andrew. She has nothing nice to say about Prince Andrew. She says that the whole Prince Andrew scandal is a great tragedy and that Andrew's been sleazy and seedy for many, many years. Prince Andrew, according to Tina Brown, incredibly dim intellectually has zero judgment, terrible taste in people, which he says is a very bad combination when you also happen to be a member of the royal family.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Best um, not left to your own devices.
1: Yeah. And ultimately, because of Andrew's incredibly dim intellect and also his mm, adolescent sex drive, that he made the perfect mark for Jeffrey Epstein. Mm. Because Jeffrey Epstein understood what he could get out of Prince Andrew, which was connections and credibility. Tina Brown noting that, yeah. And then
0: manipulation, like, uh, you know, the ability
1: to manipulate him. Exactly. Because even if Prince Andrew was a bumbling buffoon who didn't sweat and couldn't remember whether or not he went to (laughs) Pizza Express, he's still the queen's son. And so you want to be in relation with this person. If you're a person like Jeffrey Epstein, you're like, well, this is a useful idiot that I can use.
0: Well, I was going to say, and and Jeffrey Epstein's signature moved always seemed to be to get as close to other powerful individuals and manipulate them of their power. And, you know, whether it was wealth or influence.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So Prince Andrew, definitely. (laughs) Yikes is what we can say and Bradley I just want to answer the palace papers this book out tomorrow oh
0: good news right. well I'm heading over to audible right now to put it on my list when we come back from the royal family to um you know what do you want to listen to a podcast roundup Holly you're listening to something you want to tell us about and perhaps uh, we'll find out what the uh, audience is listening to as well when we come back right here on my talk 107.1